the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What Job said, naked I came I into the world, naked I'm going to leave. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. I entitled this message, Our Testimony. See, we all have a testimony. It comes from how we live. The dictionary defines testimony as the evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something. So in the case of our personal testimony, it's the living proof or evidence of how we conduct our lives. And once we come to Christ, our testimony tells the world that we have been changed, that we are no longer the same person we were before Christ. Now, how does that happen? Well, as you know, before we became believers, we lived according to our own standards or the standards that were set by the culture that we live in. Now, it's different for everybody. You know, some will have high standards for themselves to live by, yet others will live by a very low standard, as we know. Some people are really honest, while other people are not trustworthy at all. But whatever the side of the moral fence that we came from before Christ, it doesn't really matter. What matters is this. Since we have come to Christ, since we have come to Jesus, we must now all conform to God's standards. So it's not my standards, not the culture standard. It's a standard of living that God has set for us. I love that verse that's in Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, Paul had said there in Romans 12.1, he says, I urge you, the King James Bible says, I beseech you, What it means is Paul was saying, look, I come to you on bended knee. Like, I'm pleading with you. Understand, Paul wasn't giving us a list of rules and regulations, but rather great principles to lead us and to guide us. Yet, as we obey them, they will unleash the power of God in our lives. First, he said, present your life as a sacrifice. Now, That's an interesting thought, is it not? For people used to bring sheep or a lamb to the priest as a sacrifice for their sin. That's when the priest would do what with the lamb? 
he would kill the lamb. What Paul was trying to say here is that we need to die to ourselves, die to our ambitions, die to all of our weaknesses, and to now live to a life that is acceptable to God. Jesus said in John 12, 24, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, if we die to ourselves and we live to God's purpose and plan for our lives, we also can bear much fruit as we share the light of the gospel with this dark world that we live in. Let me ask you, what's your definition of acceptable to God? I mean, should it not be giving him our very best in everything that we do? But just how does that actually translate into everyday life? If we say, okay, I'm going to do my best. Okay, well, how does that translate? Ephesians 6, 6 says, not by way of eye service. So when you're doing things, just don't do it so people can see a good work on the outside. Let it be something that's done from the very inner recesses of our heart. Not as man pleasers, he says, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from our heart. Like, I'm not just doing this because I have to do it. I'm doing it because I want to, because I want to please God in this. And there's a big difference in that. Yeah, honey, I'll take out the trash, you stinking trash. I'm so sick of it. No, or yes, I will take out the trash because I know that it's important for you to to take out the trash. So I'm going to make it a priority for me so I can bless you. You're thinking it's just taking out the trash. Yes, but it matters. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. With goodwill, he goes on to say, render service as unto the Lord, not unto men. Imagine if everything you did, you did it as unto the Lord. How much better would your job be done? How much better of a neighbor would you be to your neighbors if you did everything you do, not unto men, but as unto the Lord. It's doing what God commands us to do. It's obeying, it's obeying those around us. It's going the extra mile. It's reaching out to help those who are around us. So whether we get a pat on the back or someone notices us, it doesn't matter. We're doing it as unto the Lord. So how are we as Christians to get started in living this way? Well, Romans 12, 2 said that it started with, do not be conformed to this world. That simply means don't be walking in harmony or in agreement with the world that we're living in. We're told in 1 John 2, 15, it says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we're not to be conformed to this world, but he told us to be transformed. Transformed is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word metamorpho, and it means to change or literally to transfigure. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. The word is only used two other times in the entire Bible. One in Matthew 17, 2, where Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was transformed. He was shining like a LED light bulb. Also in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, where we're to be transformed or transfigured into the likeness of Christ. So God wants to do what? 
He wants to do a metamorphosis in you and me. So it doesn't matter, again, what side of the fence we came from, whether you were a semi-good person, a really rotten person, addicted, this, that. It doesn't matter where you came from. But once we come to Christ, he wants to do a metamorphosis in all of us in the here and now. It's like what happens to a caterpillar, right? It's just a slimy worm with a hundred little feet, and he's crawling and eating leaves and whatever. And then he goes into a cocoon, and then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, he comes out as a flying, beautiful butterfly. See, that's a metamorphosis. You were one thing. Now God wants to cause you to be something completely different. Yes, we want to be changed. That should be the desire of every believer. And what God starts in us, because you might think, well, I've been a Christian a while, and I think I'm still the worm, okay? (laughs) Well, Well, that could be. But what God starts, he finishes. Philippians 1, 6 says that I am confident, I know that I know that this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in me, is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So now, now this transformation, this, this metamorphosis can only happen by the renewing of our mind. And how does that happen? Through the study of God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth. So know this, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. And Paul recognized this when he said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid, least as the, the serpent as Satan deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. So, with that being said, let me ask you, do you have a devotional life? Do you set time aside every single day specifically to read God's Word. Well, I'm busy, Pastor. I work a lot of hours. Well, hey, I understand that. I work a lot of hours too. And back when I was in construction, I would work some 12, 14 hours a day. So, hey, I know what it's like to work hard. I know what it's like to have a limited schedule. But somehow, you need to carve away, even if it's 10 minutes a day, you need to carve some time where I say, I'm going to read here. So that means instead of having an hour lunch, maybe you have a 50-minute lunch. Poor baby. Okay, so it's like you can take 10 or 15 minutes to read God's word. Yes, if we want to know God, we have to get into his word. We have to spend time with him. Look at what is said of Jesus in the Old Testament. Psalm 40, verse 7, it says, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. When we spend time with God, as we die to ourselves, our own aspirations and things that we want for ourselves, and we allow him to transform us, we allow him to do the metamorphosis in us, look out. Things are going to radically change in our lives. As soon as we say, I desire to be what he wants me to be, things are going to rock. So my question is, how much are we willing to have that transformation happen? 
Are we as believers willing to change? If we are, then our changed lives as believers will open up, get this, open up opportunities for us to minister to others. And part of this is desiring to walk with a deep-seated integrity. See, that ministering to others, you think, well, you know, you know, that's like the pastor's job, you know. We support the church here. That's your job. You go out and minister. Yeah, there's four million people in L.A. Let me go ahead and minister to all of them. No, we're all to minister to the people that are in our sphere of life. Every single one of us. Listen, everything that you have, your coin collection, your cat collection, I hope not. But anyway, whatever you have, whatever's dear to you, you know, you're not taking anything to heaven. There's no trailer behind that hearse that's pulling you to the funeral plot there. It's like you're not taking anything with you. Just like what Job said, naked I came I into the world, naked I'm going to leave. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We're not taking anything with us. The biggest treasure that we could store for us up in heaven is sharing the gospel with others. Could you imagine 5,000 years from now, someone tapping you on the shoulder? Huh? Yes. Oh, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you shared with me at, at In-N-Out Burger. I was out in front, and you shared the gospel with me, and I gave my life to Christ, and I'm here today because of you. There is nothing greater than you being a part of someone's salvation. And you don't always have to be the person that leads them to Christ, but you can be planting seeds along the way. Maybe you invite someone to church, and that person, they say, I don't know, I'm not into church. Well, I'll come with, all right, whatever, I'll go with you once, whatever. And they come, and what if they come here? What if they give their life to Christ? Well, listen, you're just as much responsible for that salvation as the person leading them to Christ, because you're the one that got them here in the first place. And a lot of times, it's a lot of little seeds planted along the way, and then, you know, Dennis is doing some concert somewhere, and he's doing an altar call, and that person comes forward. There could have been 30 people planting seeds in that person's life, but they come forward at that altar call. All 30 people are responsible for that person getting saved. It's all of us working together in unison. But again, it's part of walking with Christ, and then also having that desire to have integrity. Now, integrity is defined as a firm adherence to a code, to a set of moral values that's maybe incorruptible. It's the quality, a state of being complete or undivided. So having integrity in one sense is what we are when nobody's watching us. See, that's what true integrity is. You're not just doing that as a show for people to see, but you're doing it even when people are not watching you. Think about some of the great benefits that we can all glean from living a life of real integrity. It's like being trustworthy. Now, in order to have trust, you know, uh, when you have trust, it becomes uh, something in your life where you become successful in life. Now you can hold a a responsible job because you're trustworthy. A person must have a a reputation of honesty when you have integrity. You know, resources are not entrusted to people who have proven to be untrustworthy. So you become a trustworthy person. And being trustworthy can lead to what? Good health. People who tell the truth are healthier than the people who don't tell the truth. Did you know that? 
You know, because you have less stress, less stress, and you feel better about yourselves. This translates into uh, a better and healthier way of life completely. So if we walk with integrity, you know, we will have more of a peace of mind. If we lie and cheat, though we might get away with it at times, eventually we will get caught and our reputation will be tarnished. You'll be like nothing more than like the most of the politicians you see today that are just liars and they'll tell you whatever they think you want to hear and they'll put mandates and things out that they don't live by themselves, but of course they want us to live by. But remember, living with integrity brings peace of mind. For it's impossible to worry and be happy at the same time, as you know, if you try to do that. Integrity helps with good sleep when we're not filled with guilt and shame. Our sleep will be much sweeter. Integrity will build confidence in us. And God will open doors of opportunities for us. And integrity builds good relationships with people that are around us. And you know, relationships are like the jewels of our life. And good relationships are built on trust. Relationships that lack in trust will only be shallow and hollow. Yes, God blesses honesty and uprightness, and he curses dishonesty. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Now, with that as a backdrop, as we continue now in our study through the book of Genesis, we will see the fruit of a life of integrity, since we've talked about it so much here, unfold. We'll consider three points in light of our title here, our testimony. Number one, a heavenly promise. There was a heavenly promise that was given, and God always stands behind his promises. Number two, a blessed reunion. Remember, Jacob thought his son had been eaten by wild animals after his own other sons had sold their little brother to Ishmaelite slave traders. Well, now we're going to see that reunion come back together between Jacob and his favorite son, Joseph. And number three, a faithful God. God is always faithful. When you do what's right, when you walk in integrity, when you say, I don't care what penalty I will face by being honest, God will always be faithful to you. Well, with that said, let's look at our first point here, a heavenly promise, as we read together, starting in Genesis chapter 46, we'll pick up, of course, in verse 1. So Israel set out, now this is Jacob, of course, God renamed him Israel. So Israel, or Jacob, set out with all he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions in the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he says, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. 
Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh has sent to carry him. And they took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, and his sons and his grandsons with him, and his daughters and his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So basically saying they brought everything they had. They didn't leave anything behind. They were all in. Now, what a promise that we see here. I mean, what a promise. First, God said in verse two, that he appeared to Jacob in a vision. And Jacob said, well, here I am. Yeah, you're looking for me. I'm right here. But notice Jacob was not alone. See, he was not there by himself because God was with him. Then God said in verse 3, do not be afraid. Then in verse 4, God said, I am going with you. So what else do we need in life, okay, than that? It's like, hey, I'm with you. You're not alone. And I'm going to go with you where you're going. Wow. I mean, what a reassurance of his faith. You know, God's like, here I am. Don't be afraid. I'm going to go down this path with you. I know that when we started this church, I, I was telling the Lord, it's like, I'll go anywhere you want to go. At one point, I was going to start a church in New Zealand. I didn't care. I was just willing to go wherever God wanted me to go. I, I was going to go back to the East Coast. Uh, you know, Dennis knows he was all part of that whole scene when I was back there helping start a harvest back there that didn't work out so well. And I was going to go back there and start another church. Like, Lord, if you want me to go there, I'll go. And then we were doing all these crusades in Australia, New Zealand. So then I felt like, well, Lord, I'll go to New Zealand. And we had our house up for sale. We were going to go there. And then it's like all of a sudden, you know, the Lord kind of honed down in my life, you know. And again, Dennis Agagenian is when it first planted the seed. You should go to L.A. And so it was through years. But my point is this. I was willing to go anywhere as long as the Lord went with me. And that's exactly what he's telling Jacob here. Look, I'm here with you. You're not alone. And I will go with you, so don't be afraid. Yet let's not miss this one major point. Did you notice at what point did God appear to Jacob? Was it when he was on the road? Was it before they left Canaan? When did he appear to him? He appeared to Jacob when Jacob brought sacrifices to the Lord when he was seeking the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord for the decisions in your life? See, oh, how his heart must have been so perplexed. He knew that the land of Canaan was where God had told him to settle. See, God had told me to come to the land of Canaan, this land that was given to his grandfather, Abraham. Plus, God told him to go back there, if you remember, back in Genesis 31. This is modern-day Israel today. So he knew this is where I'm supposed to be. Plus, I'm sure he heard about when his grandfather, Abraham, when the going got tough, he left and went down to Egypt. It was a famine back then also. And, you know, God reproved his grandfather, Abraham, because he went and depended on Egypt and not the Lord. So he was reproved for going to Egypt. Then his own father, Isaac, was told by God specifically, do not go down 
to Egypt. In fact, even Isaiah 31 starts off with, woe to those who go to Egypt. So we know that like Buku do not go to Egypt. So here he is torn in his heart. This is why he was praying. Okay, we're starting to head out towards Egypt, but you know what? I'm thinking about my grandfather. Don't go to Egypt. He was perplexed inside. That's why God says, don't be afraid. He was afraid because he wanted to see his son Joseph, but he didn't want to go to Egypt. Again, Egypt in the Bible has always been a sign of the world. It'd be a place that would draw us away from our relationship with God. Well, Jacob was concerned about this move, to say the least. So he realizes that this famine is so severe, there's no food. Yet he also knows the promises that God has made to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac concerning the land he was living in. So he was so looking forward to seeing his son Joseph. So he's perplexed inside. What do you do when you're perplexed? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're not sure? You always go to the Lord. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 